Hi, John Gimigliano here, and I'd like to welcome you back to our Catching Up on Capitol Hill podcast series, a series in which we discuss the latest in tax legislation and in tax policy. You know, before we began this series just a few weeks ago, I made a list, a list of all the topics we wanted to discuss on this podcast. And let me tell you, the list was pretty long. There are so many interesting things to explore in the long run uh, of tax policy. For example, let's talk about the future of the corporate rate, the future of individual rates, possible changes to the TCJA, changes to the, our relatively new international tax system. Trust me, we are going to get there to those topics someday soon. But, you know, sometimes intervening events get in the way of even the best laid plans. So in our effort to tackle the issues of the day, we're taking yet another unplanned detour today. There was big news in the tax world late last week when Secretary Mnuchin sent a letter to the finance ministers of France, the UK, Italy, and Spain, noting that the U.S. was going to pause negotiations of the Pillar 1 discussions at the OECD uh, on the project related to digital service taxes. Now, so let's get into that topic today. Uh, today, I'm joined by two of my colleagues, Jenna Cunha, a principal on the legislative team here, and Tom Stout, a director on the legislative team. Jen and Tom, welcome to uh, the discussion today. So let me just put a little context on this, because you might be wondering, why is the legislative podcast talking about developments in the negotiations at the OECD? That's a fair question, and honestly, it's an opportunity for us to emphasize a point but I know that, you know, Tom and Jen, we've talked about a lot. We all felt often got lost in some of these OECD discussions. And that's really the role of the United States Congress in any deal on Pillar 1 or Pillar 2. So the best way maybe for me to describe at least my view uh, on this is to let's just quote directly from Secretary Mnuchin uh, in his letter. And here's his quote. Just one sentence. Pillar one would change the most fundamental principles of international taxation, including the taxable nexus threshold of physical presence and the arm's length principle. That, so to me, end quote, that kind of sounds like a big deal. So, Jen, my first question to you, you were the chief tax counsel at the Senate Finance Committee. So just imagine for a moment that was still your job. Uh, uh, yes, I'm scared. Right. I'm sure your mind, the gears in your mind are spinning right now trying to ask yourself. And here's the question. What would you be doing if you had the Secretary of Treasury out there negotiating a deal on that? What would you be doing in your role as chief tax counsel in the legislative body about how you should be managing that issue? Go ahead. Well, I will just start, John, but I mean, that's an excellent question. And, you know, some of these digital talks began when I was still chief tax counsel in the Senate. And I can tell you exactly you know, what the conversations were like behind closed doors, there was a lot of concern, right? Because there was a lot of talk about Treasury and, you know, it's anecdotal, right? So folks would say, well, you know, Treasury is striking a deal on digital or Treasury is striking a deal on TCJA. And, you know, we kind of look at each other and think, well, you know, last time we checked, most of these changes that are being discussed would require a legislative fix. And, just a couple of years ago, a lot of st a lot there was a big TCJA that specifically addressed international taxation, and that was a bear to get over the finish line in and of itself. So there's one thing that we can say reliably: it's that the Senate, the House, and just Congress, for that matter, does not readily see its power to legislate, especially on tax matters, with ease. 
right? That's not something that would just be viewed kindly and that, you know, folks would say, oh, Treasury's got it. We'll just put a rubber stamp on it here in the Senate or we'll just pass it quickly through the House of Representatives. That's just not something that um, is appetizing to anyone on either side of the aisle or on either side of the Capitol, for that matter. So before we turn to what the House might do, um, let me just go back on, on a question related to what Jen just said, Tom. You, you've, you know, uh, watched tax legislation a long time. You, you know legislators. Uh, you know how they think. Let's just imagine we're in a world where the OECD had a deal, right, and the U.S. signed on to that deal, but it required a legislative change. Can you imagine a scenario whereby the U.S., you know, you, the, the, you know, the, the Senate Finance Committee and the Ways and Means Committee took that deal out of the OECD, took the language, cut and pasted it into a bill and put that on the floor kind of as is. Is that a plausible scenario or do you think they'd insist on writing some similar but distinct version of that? What do you think? Well, you know how Congress is, I mean, as, as Jen was indicating. They don't often just go along with things. They have their own ideas about how to how to how to, how to work things out. Yeah, I think interestingly, you know, from the House Democratic point of view, I mean, this is one area where you know I, I suspect there's more or less bipartisan agreement uh, about protecting U.S. business. So you know, I think there's more agreement on this than there are on a lot of other issues floating around. On the other hand, you know, trying to get Congress. To, to agree on anything is, is difficult, even when they have sort of general agreement on principles. And you know, I know that's one thing that's been of concern to the Treasury negotiators is how they manage this, particularly if you, you get into a situation where some of the some of the, uh, the issues have to be dealt with by treaty uh, when you know, we have trouble getting the simplest tax treaties through through the Senate at this point. But there is I think there is. You know, likely to be bipartisan agreement on you know a reaction. Uh, certainly, at the moment, protecting U.S. business, and then you know the rest. I think will depend on on what exactly the OEC decides to do. Uh, at this point, it looks like without U.S. participation. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned treaties, Tom, because I can hear the you know I can hear the voices out there already howling in protest. But what about the treaties? Couldn't couldn't we do this? Okay, forget the legislation. Couldn't we do this by treaty alone? Uh, maybe uh, like that's not my area of expertise. There could be a lot of smart people talking about all sorts of nuances of what just happened last week. I'm just trying to stay in my lane, right? <laughs> this is Capitol Hill, so let's just talk about uh, the treaty. So Jen, uh, let's just. Say for a moment that this could be done by treaty still requires congressional action, right? That's right. The treaties have to be ratified. They have to go through the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, and so. then they have to pass the Senate. So it's not sure. Treaty sounds like a you know like a slam dunk, but it hasn't been. Like Tom mentioned, we've had tax treaties sitting in the Senate for in the past for decades. So it's not easy breezy as we would as we would like to think. Right. So either whether it's legislation or whether it's treaty, it, it, at a minimum, the Senate's involved. Now, Tom, let me come back to you sort of my last question. Let's just go with this Senate um, approach, uh, Senate treaty approach for a moment. You're, you're Richie Neal, you know, the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, um, a Democrat, Richie Neal, spent a long time trying to get that job and he ultimately got it. It's, 
do you imagine a scenario where um, he would sit by and watch the Trump administration along with the GOP-controlled Senate put through these sweeping changes in our international tax system by treaty while he's on the sidelines? Wouldn't, wouldn't that give him uh, some concern? Wouldn't he want to get involved in that in some way? What would his reaction be, do you think? Uh, well, clearly he's going to want to become involved in it, and he has the ability to do that uh, because he does have the tax plan on the House side, and even though they're not directly involved in the treaty process, treaties require two-thirds of the Senate for approval, so they require substantial Democratic support to get through. So, yeah, clearly he's going to want to have input into whatever they do, and, and presumably they'll listen to him in the Senate. That's a really interesting point, right, because – even if in the purely treaty scenario, if that's the way they go, uh, because of the requirement that so many Democrats would ultimately have to support it, that um, uh, Democrats, even in the House, can work through their, their Senate colleagues to make sure that their point of view is, is taken and maybe force it back into legislation, I guess, theoretically, would be another approach. Well, there's going to be so so much ink spilled over uh, what just happened uh, on this point, whether or not this pause becomes a permanent pause or a temporary pause and how this is going to play out. Um, it's obviously something that we're going to follow, and I suspect many others will be in the weeks, months, maybe even years to come. But uh, I guess that's probably all we should say about it today, at least from the legislative or congressional angle on what's happening at the OECD. So thanks for listening this week. We'll take an Independence Day hiatus next week. We'll be back with our next episode in two weeks. I'd like to tell you that we'll finally get a chance to talk about long-term changes to the tax code when we come back, but the way things have been going, I'm pretty sure we'll probably have some other timely topic pop up before then. But until then, thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you.